Hello, my name is Kia and welcome back to Raised on the Internet, a podcast where we explore memories of growing up online. First of all, uh, big apologies for taking such a long hiatus. I was finishing my spring semester and then starting my summer classes, which have been pretty brutal. So I had to take some time off to focus on those. But speaking of summer classes, this episode you're listening to currently is a bonus episode which actually I recorded as part of a project for one of my summer classes but I think the topic is similar enough to what we normally talk about that you'll enjoy it as a little bonus. One other thing before we get started this episode might sound a little bit different because my brother very kindly bought me a bunch of podcasting equipment a new mic so if it sounds a little bit different that's why i'm still kind of learning to how to set it up and use it properly so i think you'll hear still some pops and just some all-around flaws that i still need to work out but we're getting there and thank you to my brother that was very nice of him i actually don't know if he's listens to the show anymore but <laughs> anyway uh, I think that's about it. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm really excited for this episode because it features the story of the iconic Mr. T-Pain, as well as a discussion about manipulated audiovisual evidence. Stay tuned to find out how those things are connected. So, to start off, what do I mean by manipulated AV evidence? Well, it can take many different forms, but as a basic definition, manipulated evidence is any piece of content that has been altered for a specific purpose. In their report, Deepfakes and Cheapfakes, Britt Paris and Joan Donovan write, quote, AV manipulation includes any socio-technical means for influencing the interpretation of data, end quote. In the report, Paris and Donovan describe a spectrum of manipulation with expensive deepfakes on one end of the spectrum and easy and inexpensive cheapfakes on the other end. So, for example, the deepfakes end would include things like face swapping and voice synthesizing, while cheapfakes are more accessible to the average internet user and include things like speeding and slowing the playback of content. While deepfakes are fairly new, AV manipulation as a whole is not a new concept. AV manipulation has been happening as long as there's been audiovisual content to manipulate. But I think as technology is progressing at such an exponential rate these days, the options and accessibility to methods of AV manipulation is also progressing at the same pace. What I want to discuss through this episode is an attitude I see a lot in young people, which I think is caused by just how prevalent AV manipulation is these days. Something I see a lot among my generation is a general idea of who cares when questions of evidence manipulation comes up, for example, viral videos. When a video goes viral, for the most part, my generation does not do much questioning of if it's real or not. It's sort of a generational inside joke that if you show your parents a meme or a viral video, they'll ask, who is that? Or other questions about the details of the video. But to young people, the production of the video is almost unimportant. What matters is that it's funny or at least entertaining. I think this is because we've become so accustomed to media manipulation. 
I was discussing this topic with my mom who pointed out that I don't even know a world without Photoshop. And she's right. And as I mentioned, technology has been advancing at such a rate that at this point, we don't even need to spend time learning to use Photoshop because apps like Snapchat and Instagram provide filters that do the work for us. But let's take a step back in time for a second. I promise you some tea pain and I'm a woman of my word. T-Pain, if you don't know, is often credited with popularizing auto-tune. Auto-tune is an editing feature that snaps the tone that a musician is singing to the intended note. As you can hear, T-Pain uses it in an overt and artistic way, but when it was invented, the intention was just to make recording sessions easier and quicker. It was invented to be a subtle way to manipulate media, specifically music. Netflix recently released an episode focusing on autotune as part of their docuseries called This Is Pop. Here's what the creator of autotune, Andy Hildebrand, had to say about his inspiration for creating it back in 1996. There is a, a huge need in the recording industry for singers to be in tune. Before autotune, the singers would have to spend a lot of time in the studio, and the only technology means they had were very uh, difficult to use. The use of autotune was kept quiet until 1998, when the autotune sound came into public consciousness with Cher's song Believe. As you can hear, the autotune effect is exaggerated in a way that Andy hadn't intended when creating it. What brought it out to the public's awareness is the use of a certain dial. There's a dial on the software that slows down the pitch change. So you can go from a faster song to say a ballad and it all sounds like it should. You can turn that dial the other way and go to a faster song and get faster pitch correction. Just for fun, I let the dial go all the way to zero, which gave you instantaneous pitch changes. That people could hear. It's its own sound, and it isn't meant to sound natural. From there, and entering the 2000s, T-Pain took the reins and became a pioneer. Before T-Pain, people didn't understand what autotune was. The producer of Believe actually hadn't been public about what it was that gave the song its sound. T-Pain describes hearing the effect on a song and searching forever to find how to do it himself. He'd started out as a rapper and was desperately looking for something to make him stand out. I was singing all the hooks and then I decided to make my own album, but it was just my voice. And I was like, this is not making me different from anybody else. I want it to sound different. I heard her normal vocals, and then she used auto-tone. I was like, wait a minute, what was that? The second I heard it, man, I was just like, that's, that's different. I got to find out what this is. I just knew there was something that I had never seen before. It's going to drive me crazy until I find it. And I set out on a fucking year-long mission <laughs> to find that damn thing. 
I went to everybody I knew that had cracked versions of everything. I was just like, just, just give me everything you got. I didn't know the name of the effects. I just wanted to find it. Anything that had the word vocal or anything that had the word Vox on it, I was, I was buying it. I was getting a hacker if I can get a cracked version of it or something. And one day, man, I got three DVDs. I went through every single one. Not only did I go through every plugin, I went through every preset of each plugin. So that took a long time. And I had one, one piece of vocal going that whole time. Just had it on a loop, just kept changing it. That's not it, that's not it, that's not it. Oh boy, when I found that I was here, I, I cried a little bit. Because I had finally found the thing that was gonna make me different. When he finally did find Auto-Tune, he was not shy about using it. In 2005, he released his album, Rapper Turnt Sanger, which features the song I'm Sprung. On this single and the rest of the album, T-Pain really made the Auto-Tune effect his signature sound, exaggerating the effect. By the end of the decade, T-Pain and Auto-Tune kind of became synonymous. But, of course, there was pushback from vocalists who felt the popularity of auto-tune meant the end of talented singers. Jay-Z wrote a song called D.O.A., Death of Auto-Tune. The band Death Cab for Cutie actually went on a whole anti-auto-tune campaign, going as far as wearing pins to symbolize their hatred for it to the Grammys. Even more upsetting to me, though, was T-Pain's revelation of a conversation he had with Usher. We was actually going to the 2013 BT Awards, and we were all in first class, and uh, I went to sleep. I was awakened by, um, by the flight attendant. She said, Usher would like to talk to you in the back. So I got up and went back, and it was like, uh, you know, how's everything going? Quick, small talk, no big deal. And um, it was like, man, I want to tell you something, man. Like, what's, what's, what's good? I thought he was about to tell me something real. He sounded real concerned. He was like, man, you kind of kind of fucked up music. I didn't understand. Usher was my friend. He was like, nah, man, you really like, you really fucked up music for real singers. Literally at that point, I couldn't listen. Is he right? Did I, did I fuck this up? Did I fuck up music? And I and that is the very moment. And I don't, I don't even think I, I realized this for a long time. That's the very moment that started like a four-year depression for me. Lots of people, particularly of older generations, felt autotune meant the end of real music. I find this really interesting because to me this shows an attitude that music is only quote unquote real if it's completely raw and all the talent relies on the singer. This attitude is kind of the opposite of the one I mentioned earlier where what matters is the end result. Even with the pushback though, T-Pain was very successful. His solo records did well but he also flourished in doing features with other artists. Songs like Low, which he did with Flowrider, and Blame It with Jamie Foxx shot to the top of the charts. And then, another big name started playing with the over-exaggerated auto-tune sound, one Mr. Kanye West. 
In the night I hear him talk The coldest story ever told Somewhere far along this road He lost his soul To a woman so heartless <laughs> He said that he loved Rapper Turn Singer He realized that Rapper Turn Singer was uh, A bunch of love songs with a ton of bass in them uh, Argo 808s and heartbreaks. <laughs> <laughs> With his 2008 release of the album 808s and Heartbreaks, which heavily relied on autotune, he really solidified the sound as a popular style in pop music. As autotune became more mainstream, young people settled into our decision that it doesn't really matter if the vocals are 100% authentic. What we care about is the end result. If it sounds cool and new and fresh, we're gonna want to dance to it. In an article for Pitchfork, Simon Reynolds writes that it's estimated that 99% of pop music these days features the use of autotune, though some songs make it more obvious than others. So while not everyone is using the exaggerated style that T-Pain popularized, I think T-Pain really normalized the idea of altering vocals and made it a lot less taboo. So now, connecting that back to what I was talking about earlier with millennials and Gen Z kids not caring if a piece of content is manipulated, I think that T-Pain and this era of autotune heavy music definitely played into us developing that mindset. Watch a video of Katy Perry performing live. She definitely does not sound nearly as good as her studio recordings. And we know this is because the pitches have been toned with autotune. But knowing that our voice has been manipulated doesn't stop us from loving the Teenage Dream record. Reynolds concludes that autotune felt so right because it fit in our modern era. Everything is digital, so digitized voices fit right in. But I think Reynolds is not giving autotune and its pioneers enough credit. Autotune actually molded our tastes. Along with the rest of online culture, autotune was instrumental, pun intended, in making young people extremely well versed in manipulated AV evidence. Whether this is a good or bad thing, though, is a, definitely a nuanced conversation. Because we've grown up around so much manipulated media, we have a tendency to not care whether something is true. If we get an emotion out of a piece of media, it's almost irrelevant what the backstory of its creation is. This can certainly be dangerous when we become vulnerable to misinformation just because it makes us feel a certain way. But I think it can also be kind of beautiful. Technology and AV manipulation can be a way to make art stand out. T-Pain likely wouldn't have been as successful if he hadn't found his signature sound. I think there are ways to enjoy and appreciate the accessibility and existence of the right kind of manipulated media, while also making sure we 
aren't lulled into apathy by all forms of manipulated media. After all, I for one am very happy that Buy You a Drank exists. What a good song. That is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it was a little bit different from the topics we normally cover, but I enjoyed researching and putting it together, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I hope you learned something. I am planning on getting back to normal episodes. I can't guarantee when that will be, but I have a couple ideas that I'm working on. I hope to get them to you as soon as possible. Um, But with that, I am always looking for new ideas. And if anyone wants to be a guest and come talk to me about your experiences with the internet growing up, uh, please reach out. I'd love to have you on. Um, Or if you just have topics you'd like me to cover, I will love to hear that as well. The Instagram is at raised on the internet and the Gmail is raised on the internet pod at gmail.com. I think that's about it for today's episode. So hopefully I'll see you soon with a new episode. Bye guys.